We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports, gambling, and wagering. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice as all the information is for educational purposes only. Also, we don't necessarily endorse or advocate for gambling or wagering, so please proceed cautiously and smartly in these endeavors. This week's guest is Ari Fox. Ari is the CEO and executive producer of GameCon and the Casino Esports Conference, as well as the president of the Gambling Esports and Technology Association. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Justin. Very happy My to be pleasure. here. So let's talk a little about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how did you transition to the business side of the space? Well, the first very game I played, and I hate to date myself, was uh, Zelda, but it was, um, you know, on the console. And I also, I did play Pong, but I was like, probably like 10, 11. Um, but, you know, I lately have been playing, uh, I like to play indie games. And the reason why I like to play indie games is because... Um, for the same reason, I guess, why people like to play or watch indie films. There's a lot more, like, sort of in-depth in the storylines and the creativity and the, and the, you know. So, you know, that's why I do Game of Con. But the current indie game that I'm playing now is uh, called Diabolical, which is a, it's an FPS um, game with robots and stuff. And uh was put out by a uh, a guy in uh, England, a game developer in England, who I uh, I worked with his brother in the events business for a while. So he uh, <clears throat> he turned me on to the game, and it's pretty cool. It's it's a lot of fun. Amazing. So let's kind of talk about Game of Con. What is the conference, and why did you create it? So coming up in twenty twenty four, we. We created GameCon out of um, friends of ours that we're, we were working with um, back in the day. Um, we're going back a while now, maybe fifteen, maybe fifteen years ago or more. Uh, my brother and I built a computer system for the transportation industry for uh, Atlantic City. We built this kiosk machine. It was before smartphones. Before this kiosk machine, we built this kiosk machine with a touchscreen. And you could get any bus ticket going to anywhere from all the bus centers in Atlantic City. And um, you could also get a comped bus ticket based on your play with one of the casinos. We did a comp program. But we were doing all this computer design and creation. And the people we were working with were also game designers. And so as it came out, we were sort of like, well... We were having lunch one day, and they're like, well, we were like, well, what is it about game designers that you guys would like to see? And they're like, well, you know, we don't get enough accreditation. You know, we try really hard. We work very difficult. There's no unions for um, game developers. So we said, why don't we start uh, like a Sundance Film Festival for, for game developers? And that was in 2015. So... They were like, that's amazing. Let's do it. And because we had connections with, you know, all the people in the casino industry, we knew the casino people were like, we need people to come in the door. You know, we want, you know, heads and beds. You know, we want to sell hotel rooms and food and beverage. So bring the people in. We'll give you a good rate on our uh, exhibit halls, um, which were 18,000, 20,000 square feet, big spaces. So they were like, yeah, it's a good, it's a match made in heaven. So. 
we started doing them in Atlantic City in 2015. And, um, you know, I know nothing about the event business and how to do stuff in the event business, but you know, I quickly learned I'm a very fast learner and a very hard worker. So we ended up starting GameCon, which actually stands for Game Arts Convention. So the A in GameCon stands for the artistry and in game development, gameplay, you know, all of it. Because when you talk about artistry, you talk about every sort of subject under the under that cloud that you can think of so that's what we started and and it was a great opportunity and me being a gamer i i connected immediately with the people who are coming in and uh next year 2024 we're having an event in palm springs in june we're hoping that the one we're having in june is going to hopefully replace e3 so that size magnitude 10,000 people minimum we're trying that'll be at the palm springs convention center and then in august from the second to the fourth we're going to be in stamford connecticut here not as big because the space is not as as large as a convention center but we're hoping between two to four thousand people daily for the weekend yeah, let's talk a little bit about is it mostly just only indie devs or are you going to be having major AAA studios? So we'll have indie devs. We have AAAs that like to come and scout the uh, indie devs. Um, we have eSport tournaments, obviously. It's all part of the mix. That's the play into, um, you know, these publishers or big publishers that are going to showcase those games in eSports Um because we have to get licenses from them. Maybe they will run them themselves. And the one in California, especially because if we're down the road or a couple yeah, hours away. headquarters from, out there. Yeah, they're headquartered. So why not come in and go do a Call of Duty uh, uh, you know, event or something with Blizzard or even Riot or any of them. They're all out there. So, so that's a possibility. And then the other opportunity is um, what we offer is um, we have merchants and we have, you know, cosplay and we have music. And a lot of different activities to do uh, on a weekend. So um, that's pretty much what GameCon is all about. Oh, and we have something especially interesting for indie devs called the GameCon Crystal Awards. And those are, it's an award show where we rate best graphics, best design. And the original guys that we started it with are the board members, and they have each industry have been. Uh, had experience working for like Chaos Studios, Take Two Media, um, and one guy works for Meta. So these are guys that you know are very well versed in what they're looking for 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 game developments. So what kind of attendees is it? Aspiring game developers, fans, like who? Oh, you know, who everything. We got fans and and aspiring, you know, inspire, you know, people who want to get into game development. So we do get like schools, like Full Sail University post-university here in Connecticut that um, are going to push their game development programs, their eSport programs, um, young people who are coming in from, you know, that come to GameCon for, for high school, coming to play video games. But lo and behold, they come across a booth space that uh, specializes in, e they have an eSports program or they have a, a game development program. And we'll have people from those schools actually give talks to some of the parents that are coming and bringing their younger kids to the conference or the convention, I should say. I, I always, sometimes I call it a conference, but in my head, a conference is more B2B. And that's the other event we're having in March, which is the Casino Esport Conference in Palm Springs, um, than a convention. The convention's more like a, you know, like a Comic-Con. Like <laughs> a fan-driven kind of. Yeah. Okay. I, I see the distinguishing there. Yeah. So, um, so, but getting back to, you know, um, the the whole point of what I enjoy about what my passion is, is if I can find that next Rocket League, which, you know, started out as a, in a, as with Psionics, uh, and that became a big eSport game. Imagine finding or having a indie game on your floor that then becomes the next esports right like fallout guys i hear that was something yeah. that just people saw at like a pax or something and yeah you know exactly huge. i mean that's that's exciting to me it's i don't know if you're how you know your age but there was you if you recall back in the day cbgb's which is downtown 
And remember how they would find the? I have been to CBGVs. I will say that my I, my I had a client, you know, but my dad had a client that performed, so he brought me. It was definitely not the CBGVs of the heyday, but I right. will say that I was in that bathroom before it is no longer what it <laughs> right, was. Right. But my point is that my sister, who's older than I am, was was a resident and lived in New York City. She lives in LA now. But um, she would go to CBGB's and she saw Deborah Harry before she was even involved with Blondie. She saw the, you know, the Sex Pistols before they were known. Even the Ramones who yeah. played there. And that's, to her, that that's like an exciting thing to to actually know and talk to the actual artists who then become something bigger. And, and you're like, oh, I know those guys, or I met those guys at, at, at that event. So that's why I remember I, when they were just this DJ that was DJ my parties. And now they're, you know, mainstraining at ultra. And it's like, that's right. kind of the stuff that I love about my job. Well, that's the exciting part about game of con. And that's where, where, what we like to do. We like to spring in those, those young game developers that are hungry to create a really cool game that's going to like really involve and build a community of people that connect with each other through that game. And that's what drives me. So how can a game developer get involved? They just kind of apply? Like what's kind of the Well, the we have all, if you go on our site right now, uh, gamacon.com, um, you can sign up, you can fill out an application, uh, you can uh, fill out an application to be nominated at the GameCon Crystal Awards, or you can fill out an application to showcase your game at, at the at the event, in either in Palm Springs or in Stanford, Connecticut, um, for next year. And that's open right now. Uh, the, the, the website is up fully running. Um, and if you're an influencer uh, and you're looking to gain more fans, that's another great thing. You, you can contact me, or you, there's forms to fill out there, etc. Um, but it's it's an exciting it's an exciting event to me. It's more I, I hate to say this, but I I have two passions. One passion is to for the community and the gaming communities to bring them together and find new um, artistry with my event at the convention. And the other passion is to help the gambling industry um, learn about the the video gaming world. And how do they connect to it? And we were just talking about that before this 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 uh, this podcast about you know how does you know laws being passed, etc. And how does the now the casinos in like New Jersey take those that work that's been done in the legislatures and and sort of sort of laying the groundwork and how do they move forward with trying to interact with this community? Well, yeah, we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But before that, I wanted to kind of touch on something else that you've mentioned. So the, the Casino Esports Conference, um, I know that that was another event that you host, and there was a recent one. So tell us a little about some of the topics and discussions. So that was – that's the – that's, again, the CEC is not something where – you know, the Casino Esports Conference is not something which is like a gangbuster event where we have like tons of people coming from the gambling side especially. Um, the gambling side as a whole, I found, because that's what it's for. The Casino Esport, I explain what it is. Casino Esport Conference is a, uh, the one we had in New Jersey was a summit. And the conference that we're having in March is actually the 19th, 20th, and the 21st. It's a three-day convention or conference where we have educational um, panel discussions uh, to teach the people and executives in the gambling industry about the video gaming industry and how do they connect with those communities, smash communities, um, uh, uh, FGC communities, fighting game communities, uh, first person shooter communities, um, uh, you know, exploratory sports sim communities, Madden, Madden communities, all of these types of game enthusiasts and people who have these big communities behind them. How do you connect to them? How do you interact with them? What can you offer them um, at your locations to bring those people into your place? Because as I see it, and a lot of the and a handful of gambling people on the gambling side see it, is that this is this could be a future for the gambling industry. Now, mind you, minding the gambling industry on that side of it, on the actual, um, what's the word? The um, the the uh, execution of getting these people into those places 
is extremely lacking on the gambling side. And I can tell you that because you were at the event in New Jersey. We barely had anybody there. And it was a big disappointment for me and, and a lot of other people that were there. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that these things, as you're saying, it's really a learning process. You're trying to teach a new um, area that's obviously been established for a pretty long time. I don't know, you know, sports gambling going back to, you know, obviously the Black Sox scandal and before that. So it's like only about 100 plus years of gambling, at least here. And that doesn't count overseas where, as we know, gambling is way different in the UK and, you know, other countries. So it makes sense that it's slow adoption. But as you're mentioning, what benefits do you see um, from the esports and gaming world that can come to the casinos and wagering? And what kind of steps do you think are necessary to make that happen? Well, let's look at the numbers first. Let's talk numbers because in the, in the gambling world, it's all about the numbers. Um, investors love numbers. The, the, the people running the casinos. love numbers, right? Probability, numbers, roulette, casinos, all right, numbers. Right. It's always numbers. So Number-wise, there's 3 billion gamers worldwide in the video gaming industry. Esports, that's about 10% of that, right? Um, what is the average age of a gamer demographically? According to the Electronic Software Association, it's about 35 years old. Okay. How many 35-year-olds do you know go to a casino? Not that many, not when you have two kids. <laughs> right. Not when you have two kids, not that many that can go, um, even if they're going to kick off for a, a day or so with buddies, and they do go to a casino, they're not playing slots. I can guarantee you that. And let's talk more numbers. At one time, the gambling industry had was 70% of the revenue was in slot, was in slot revenue. That was wow. 70% of gambling was slot machine revenue, coming from the boomers, obviously. The the millennials and Gen Z literally are a completely different mindset than a boomer. And I'll take one example. I've always talked about this. When a boomer had a full day of work, they would come home and do what? Watch TV. Watch TV. They would sit. They would sit and watch television, maybe listen to music. But this is how they unwound after a long, hard day, right? Millennial Gen Z, they come home after a long day of work. What do they do? Game. They game. Right. It is literally culturally different. So we're talking about two vastly different ways that these people unwind and entertain themselves. One, and we get it more detail, is one, we have millennials and Gen Zs that want to be a part of the entertainment. They are interacting with that entertainment. Right. You're not passively just you're not passively your... sitting there. And the other, the boomers, I'm passively sitting and being entertained. I'm seeing all kinds of things. It's making me feel good. I'm becoming happy. This is great. I love it. So think of what a slot machine does. Yeah, I mean, that is literally passive entertainment. I'm hitting you just a button. Press the button, it spins, he's some fruit, and wow, lights. Right. So <laughs> this is where you have a vast now, don't get me wrong, they've done so much, like companies like um uh Aristocrat and Every and you know, I'm naming some of the uh, IGT. These are companies that create slot machines that in order to entice a younger generation literally will be put a massive screen they're like the size of like the sphere yeah they're and like they're si- five they're si- feet taller than me and i'm pretty right, tall right right and they're like these massive things and like you they're they're thinking okay that's gonna get them no no it it, it it really won't make it even into a virtual reality experience it's still passive entertainment because they're not actually making or determining or even being challenged on what the outcome could be so when a younger person is gaming, the idea – so you, then we'll talk psychology. So when you're gaming, okay, as a millennial or Gen Z, there is the endorphins that are being pushed into your brain because you're trying to beat the game. Right, you're when trying, you're winning, when you get a good kill. Like, when you get a good kill, you want to get to the next level or you want to yeah. you wanna, you wanna get – You score that goal in FIFA, which is impossible to score a goal. <laughs> right, but it's the it's – the, it's the endorphins are the excitement of getting to that 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 the 
bonus or the 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 jackpot. It's you're making the jackpot happen. You're not letting some other machine make the jackpot happen. So this is what we teach at the CEC because it's 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 really hard, like you said. I mean, you're talking about sports wagering that started with the Black Sox in the 1800s. We're talking hundreds of years of the same stuff that they've been sending out to, you know, uh, the people that have eaten it up. And they've been making money hand over fist, the casinos and online casinos and now sports wagering platforms and apps. So if it ain't broke, why fix it? We're making plenty of money. Our GGR gross gaming revenue is high. So why does this, why do we need to do this? Um, And some people in the industry, I won't name names. I'm talking about the gambling industry are saying to me, Ari, don't despair. Keep running your CECs because what is happening in the background that we don't see because all the articles, as you know, are plumped up and, you know, for stockholders and stockbrokers to, you know, invest more into these companies, um, you know, uh, is that it is on a decline. And we will see a point in time where the gambling industry has to reinvent itself. And so they're saying sit tight. And and hopefully sooner rather than later, because I don't know how long I can sit tight for <laughs> that. Um, you, it's going to come around. And that's why we still have some people, small amount on the gambling side that are interested in the CEC. What about what's kind of talk about from the other side? So what is the national landscape for esports betting and wagering? And, you know, we're talking about kind of betting on competitive games versus, you know, the one on one kind of game battles model. Is there any difference between them legally? Is this kind of similar to the gambling distinction with fantasy sports? You know, well, like I was telling you, the on the on the esports side, you know, I think you see a lot more in black markets or 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 the gray areas, like the offshore stuff. Well, well, not even the offshore, but even gray areas. I mean, you, I'm sure you've heard of Gamer Saloon, right? Gamersloan is like a gray area kind of website. Some states are like, wait, this, how do we regulate this? What it is is peer-to-peer play um, online, and then they, you know, they take a vig. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. And they do get people who hustle other people. And how, you know, what's the solution there? I mean, because then, because then the af- actual overall experience of a gamer, uh, on the other hand, is isn't the kind of experience that someone would be a repeat customer is that they know they're going to get on there and be hustled every single time by some guy who's like an amazing player. Then it's someone who's a novice against someone who's an advanced player and the advanced player would beat them every time. It's not even a challenge. So they're losing money. So, so there's a couple of things on the video gaming side or esports side is the regulation on KYC, you know, knowing your customer, the age of that person, um, you know, what, you know, what kind of funds are they using? It, and these are gray areas that the that legislatures in states haven't even caught up to it yet. Is it because it's just so new, so happening quick, or they're just not, there's just so much other stuff going on that it's just like, this is well, not. Well, when, when you talk about the, the esports side in general, I think there's just, they don't know where to begin. I, I think you when you when you have um, so many vastly different games within this one spectrum, it's like it's like telling a bookie, okay, now you have to figure out, or even the legal side, legislature side, state side, now you have to figure out how to build something that's going to be uh, that's going to be safe for the consumer for both for every single sport under the under the sun everything all at once do that now i mean that's like how do you do that when you don't even understand you know 90% or maybe even 95% of the games that are actually being offered and played and then you have the other factor of you know games come and go where games are popular you know in fighting games for instance games are popular when a new title comes out it's popular for a while there's a big scene and then that's it, right? Street Fighter Six comes out. There's all kinds of great stuff going on. Capcom Cup, but a year or two in, 
that scene kind of dies out until the next one comes out. And what, which is what tells me overall um, that, you know, I mean, they're doing very well at CSGO in Europe. Okay. We all know that, that they get a lot right, of legal legends and Dota are huge in Asia and China. And Korea. Right. So, but um, from the wagering perspective, is League of Legends and, and Dota big in China and, and Asia uh, gaining any money for the bookies? That's what I'm, you know, from, from the gambling side, they would say, well, where's the money? Are they making money out of it? Um, they know that in Europe they are making some money, not a lot, but, you know, businesses and companies like um, Rivalry seem to be placing up profits now, and they've been slowly and quietly building an esports uh, betting program um, that is showing some 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 real grit, some real uh, um, uh, hope in this area, and I think that overall you you have to say that there is the business. But my actual question is, you're not engaging the entire business. I think they're only engaging the passiveness. Again, we're talking about passive and interactive. The passiveness of fans betting on who's going to be or win the outcome. The bigger, the bigger chunk of money is what a gamer saloon is doing, is the peer-to-peer play, is to involve the people in the community to play these games. Because at the end of the day, most people who play video games are, are esport fanatics. They're players themselves. And there's no, there's no barrier to entry to be a gifted player to be able to be the best player you want to be or even to make a living out of playing video games. Um, but there is a barrier to entry to be a professional baseball player, to be a professional football player. You have to have God-given talents, God-given size, God-given speed. These are things that the body itself has to be a part of. And, you know, I, there's been studies and other things that have come out that say playing video games is exactly like this, you know, mentally the same kind of thing as playing an actual physical sport. That's all well and good, and that might be true. But ask a gamer who's playing a video game to do a forty, uh, you know, with a professional football player. Obviously, there's no comp, there's no comparison. So we're talking about a community of people that want to be the players themselves. Again, it's the interaction with the actual entertainment rather than being a passive person watching. And if they're not embracing that, then they're not embracing the way that they can make money. I'm talking about the gambling side. Is that you see like kind of like the prop bets, like who's going to get the first kill, like those things is kind of the medium between being passive but also having some more engagement and like, oh, yeah, who's going to get the most If it's quick and it's fast, absolutely. It's like, I mean, but again, a gambler is a gambler is a gambler. And we, we're talking about – They'll gamble you know, on anything. They'll gamble on anything. So it's like if they're watching a, uh, a like a like an NBA 2K game or they're watching an actual NBA game, who's going to get the next three-pointer in that, in that quick in-bet in bet betting is – Gonna ha- it's gonna yeah, work five for bucks. Any- is Steph Curry gonna hit this shot? Yes or no? Right, right. Boom. So it's so it's always about like that gambler and what's what the gambler is actually gambling on. It doesn't matter. I mean, it could be it could be like ants crossing a sidewalk. But the point being is the actual meat of really getting into the community and video gaming community themselves is letting the people compete against each other. That's where the value is. And, you know, Gamer Saloon has been one of those companies I've, I've talked about. And there's other peer-to-peer yeah, ways. Like I know 1v1 Me app, which is we've had their founder on early in the Right, but there's, there's not enough focus on, the, on that aspect. Um, and there's not enough – and there should be. That's where the conversation should really start because, again, we're dealing with an interactive population than a, than a passive population. So do you see that as, you know, benefit that that's going to help, you know, esports and, you know, gaming segment? I obviously we know we all these headlines about the esports winner, does gambling and wagering is that something that helps everything grow or is it Well, let's look at let's look at the history of esports and how it's evolved. I mean, we 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 can go back to 2011 
um, when, you know, there was tournaments and things. And then we can go a little bit further into 2013 and the Staples Center was at 2015, the Staples Center being sold out and esports becoming all the rage. Um, and but but you and I both know why esports started. We all know that Blizzard started doing esport tournaments to promote the game. There was more marketing campaign than it actually was an actual sport. So, you know, it was sort of like that evolved into eventually then becoming much more of an, a sport, um, which is all well and good. But like, again, the, the, the approach by venture capitalists over that period of time um, and the investment into businesses like Overwatch and other things like that, they all crumbled. Because there was just not, it was, it was approached this community the same way they would approach a new baseball team being built in, let's say, Las Vegas now. Oakland A's are just walking. But by saying is what I'm trying to point out to you is that you can approach this community or these communities, video gaming people or, or generations, the same that you can with boomers. It's passive and interactive. These are not in passive people. These are interactive. I want to be involved in the entertainment. I'm only watching this eSport tournament because I could see some moves that possibly I could do after this, uh, this tournament's over. So on, uh, from the perspective of like the venture capitalists that were pouring money into eSports for all this time, they lost because they never understood the fan. They thought, I'm going to build an eSports arena. I'm going to make a local team for Overwatch. I'm yeah, going to have a watch party at a bar and give away I'm a gonna, couple hats. Right. And we're going to have millions of fans that are coming into the stadium, paying money for tickets for each time. Because we we're have, the, the L.A. team, right? That's yeah. Because we're, we're the L.A. team. They're right. Gonna we're come. the Philly team. We're the L.A. team. We're no the Boston team. Right? No, it doesn't work like that in esports because there is no loyalty to particular cities because you know, it's never been that way. I mean, ever since the creation of Doom, people have been playing online. So you're you're playing with people from all over the world. How can you centralize a game that was born on an internet? Right. And it's more like almost country or regionally where it's like, you know, you kind of start talking about North American players and European players and like more on that level of a World Cup kind of competition than city city like a lot of other sports. And, and you sit back and, you know, I mean, you you probably know a lot of investors and you sit back and you go, why did that guy invest in this? You know, like, why did why did, why did Robert Kraft invest, you know, whatever he invested in Overwatch? And I can tell you why, because. It was all driven by numbers, money, prospect, and, you know, prospectus of numbers. What would be the, what's, what's the, you know, how much money can you make uh, if you did this or you did that? Um, and you're going to need this much money to make, but your payback will be this because of the numbers. And the truth of the matter is that no one sat back to understand the actual gamer themselves, the video gamer themselves. They don't understand these communities and never did. And that's why all of their endeavors and everything never worked. Right. Is that they just assume, you know, I've seen some of these, you know, documents as well. Like the projections are based on these numbers, but like, it's like, yeah, if you're the New York Yankees, you know, as soon as you have a game, there's just a built in audience of Yankee. Like, but that's not the same with a Call of Duty franchise, the Miami Mayhem or Farta Mutineers starting out out of nowhere and just creating an Instagram account from zero. Like it's, it's not the same. Right. And but you asked me though, originally you said, well, where, what's the benefit uh, by being involved in the betting and the wagering? Well, the benefit is that there's real money to be made. Not this phony baloney, like put, I'm going to take venture capital money and just keep getting more venture capitalists after venture capitalists until I reach a dead end. And I can't find any more venture capitalists. I can't find any more VCs that give me money because this the first VCs came in, they got bought out by the second VCs, and the next VCs came, and so on and so on and so on. Right. So and someone's going to be holding all that stock that's going to get off offloaded to someone else, offloaded to somebody else, and it's like I'm just creating sucker after sucker after sucker that's buying into my, you know, my my spiel 
or my, you know, my, my, as my brother my Instagram calls it, followers, my Instagram or my brother calls it the emperor's new clothes, you know, which are no, which are not new. I mean, they're just, it's just, he's wearing nothing, obviously in the story of the emperor, he doesn't have any clothes on, you know, but the hype is there. So, you know, the hype cycles, um, have been detrimental to esports, just like the hype cycles were detrimental to crypto. Somehow they had some kind of co connection. And when Sam Bankman Freed was, went down and FTX went down, so did the stocks in esports as well. And the view in esports, because they were some, somehow from the people's minds that were doing the investment, all interrelated. And, and that could be from NFTs or from, you know, skins, et cetera, and that kind of thing. But it, it, it's taken its major hits. And we're now at a point where, okay, well, esports now has to sort of say, maybe we should invite the gambling world in because this could help us actually make real money. But now I'm at the, where I see it is the gambling side is going, nah, we don't need these guys anymore. They may have been a big splash during COVID, but we don't, we don't need them now. But I guess it's kind of like, so you have two sides. Like, how do we see the gambling companies getting involved with the teams? Kind of just a pure sponsorship? Or I know that I saw a team in Portugal, I think, launch like their own casino, an online branded casino game with casino, like is integration. Well, 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 I can tell you there's been, a, there's attempts. Okay, there's attempts, which I look back at and I go, oh my God, this is not only horrible, it's insulting to the gaming community. Uh, and, and what I'm going to say is that um, IGT, for example, created an online slot machine, online slot machine, I guess it's because it's online, maybe it makes it better, I don't know, that was built by, that had Street Fighter characters in it. Mm -hmm. And when you get the bonus, uh, they fight each other or they destroy a car or something like that. I mean, it's literally, it's actually live now. Uh, Borgata launched it in Atlantic City. The Borgata mm -hmm. launched this on their online gambling website um, that you could play now a Street Fighter slot machine. So uh, I could tell you from the gambling side that their grip on what they currently run, they do not want to let go of. What I mean by that is we've been running slot machines, and I mentioned before it was 70% of their revenue. They're saying, I don't give one hoot about these video gamers. They're going to come and play our slot machines because we're going to put their characters and their games on our slot machines, and they're going to play it. We're not offering them anything else. They must play what we're offering them. I mean, can you imagine you if, know, you if they, Honestly, if they give you a free in-game skin or DLC with the new Street Fighter, that's a promotion that you might actually get some gamblers to be like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to go on the thing because I was going to spend 50 bucks on the skins anyway, so maybe I double it. Yeah, that's maybe right? maybe, that's the they, may, maybe they can entice and trick a, a gamer, but Justin, come on, let's be real. Video well, gamers... No, it, it will get someone in there. It will, yeah, it, it's it might, the but, gateway, right? You but, have to get that first... But, but the question, yeah. the question is, it's insulting to me knowing the street fighting community, knowing the fighting game community, that they took something and desecrated it into a slot machine. Because they're because gamers are not stupid. You know, yeah, they know they know. They're, they're gonna look gonna at that. that slot machine because yeah. you know, Chung Lee is on it or That's you right, know, Ken right. Ryu. Right, right. That's what but this is what their approach is. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna convert you. You're not converting me. So that's where we are right now. I, mm -hmm. I'm at a I'm at I'm at this crossroads where the gambling industry is saying, "No, I'm not changing anything. We're going to do for you guys. You're going to have to change what you do for us." And 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 that not only is again insulting, but it's also a it's also setting up a situation where millennials and Gen Zs are looking at this and going, oh, "I see, that's big corporate." That's big corporate. And if there's one thing they hate more than anything else, it's suits and big corporations. They don't like them because they feel they feel unsafe. They feel like they are going to be taken advantage of and they're going to be ripped off. And literally, this is a prime example of that exact thing. So that's within the insult of using it. 
it's another thing that that the community says no 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 now again justin you're right there might be some people that are being like yeah i was going to spend 50 bucks on this skin i'll go and try it but do you ever think that but they, they also may- get the skin anyway so it's like you're really paying for it you know like right but do you think they're ever going to want it they're, they're looking for the maybe skin they're, they're probably not going to repeat no i don't think there'll be a repeat this a repeat player maybe they will i don't know but you know it's it's still very squirrely and in my mind kind of like evil that, yeah, I, mean, that I think but it's like industry. one of the things where it's like we're throwing you a bone we know that in-game skins and cosmetics are something you value as a gamer and hey come check out our casino and we'll yeah, give but, you but, but but say it's like yeah i know you value this skin yes and that would be a good way for to sort of your story you're talking about is meaning in the middle if the casino wants to still give that slot machine and has, say this is the game i want you to play you're saying let's meet in the middle and uh, we'll offer you a skin. For, if you for, use it you and know, you put in $50 to try this new machine, you get a $80 skin value to use in the game. And it's more of a promotion between Capcom and the Borgata to get more users in. And then maybe they do a Street Fighter tournament in person. Like, like right, no, you I get what you're saying. You're finding, you're finding the, the yin and the yang between the two. You're sort of saying, okay, well, the casino wants to push this game. But the gaming community, what would you give in reward to the gaming community that would really entice them to come in? And then you can make it a larger thing. But to date, I don't know the numbers, obviously, on how many people have played that online. Oh, I never heard about the Street Fighter thing, so it clearly couldn't have made that big of an impact. It was in, it but, was in a news article that I read about Borgata. I mean, if you Google Borgata Online Casino Street Fighter game, you'll find it. Yeah, but... The point is that it didn't make a big enough splash in the bigger video game esports scene that I would know about it. It's kind of more of my point that like everyone wasn't like, oh, did you see that? Or even it wasn't even outrage over it because no one didn't know about it. Yeah, as far as I'm well, I saw it in a, in a gambling. Well, since you're in the casino gambling. Yeah, yeah. Right? I saw it in the saying. gambling like, industry publication. It wasn't mainstream news. Yeah, there wasn't a, a you know, Kotoko or Dexterito article about it, which – you know, but but, but that's, in terms but of that's, but that's where I, that's where I'm at because you have this gambling industry that won't change that doesn't want to change because they don't feel they have to, and then you have the esports world that went through a sort of a, a hype cycle, and now it's on a trajectory downward because there's less vester venture capital money to invest in it, and now they're at a point where they could use the gambling industry, but the gambling industry is saying like, eh, I don't. I, I don't need you. I still have boomers coming in with their oxygen tanks uh, playing slots, so I don't need it. Right, and I guess it's kind of like, is it because the individuals that are in charge of making these decisions in the casinos and the gambling world are just not in touch with it? They're just a generation or two away from it? Or like you said, they make enough from you know the, the buses from you know Cranberry, New Jersey, where my grandma lived. Right. To you know AC and everyone takes their pension and they just sit there for hours. Well, and... sadly enough, I mean, I can tell you if you want to get into the microeconomics of it, I mean, Atlantic City basically stopped their bus programs. They're not even doing them anymore. Um, the the bigger the bigger um, ones that are, are they're taking in 185 buses a day is uh, Wind Creek in Bethlehem. So mm-hmm, your grandmother like would go to Wind Creek <laughs> to, to the go. Indian casinos, right? Yeah, yeah. The Indian casinos are like sort of finding. The ways that they're keeping their casinos busy and active with people coming in there. They may not be making a massive profit on any of that, but it is keeping the place lively. So, there, you know, that's sort of like the micro level of what's going on in the gambling space. But, I mean, just recently there was an article that came out about um, that New Jersey had a huge gaming, uh, gross gaming revenue, but most of it was from online gaming. So, it's not the actual brick and mortars that are pulling in people. But the online gaming is doing phenomenally well. Do you think that would lead such as like, you know, I know League of Legends, they up the minimum age to 18 to potentially open up for new sponsors. Do you think that potentially is because of some of the hurdles that some laws might not allow you to bet on games that involve minors? Well, that's the other thing. I think if you know anything, um, and I've talked to a lot of the uh, Department of Gaming Enforcement folks, Anthony Strange is one of them. Um, he he speaks at a lot of my events. Um, and Eric Weiss, who's from Odds on Compliance, who's working with Anthony Gowdon, 
trying to do more of the um, the gambling stuff. Um, you know, they'll tell you that in, in New Jersey, they, they were pretty smart about it. The way that they set out the law, at least from what I thought a couple of years ago, was that um, any tournament that you're going to bet on in the esports space, there can't be anyone, uh, there can't be more than, uh, you can only have like one player under the age of 18. Um, that's it. So if, if if you have anyone that's um, if you have two players that are are younger than eighteen in an esports professional esports group or team or org, um, that you can't bet on that. So in my opinion, Justin, you want to know where the big money is in the wagering for esports college, because you got to be eighteen or older to be in college, or at least eighteen to be in college, right? So they have these okay. esports teams that. Uh, honestly, I think if you want to know what's going to happen two, three years down the road, college esports is going to be huge. That's what people are going to gamble on: Michigan versus oh, Ohio yeah. State and League of Legends. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because why? Because students that are and alumni that are from that college have much more of a loyalty to that college than they would to the city that they live in. You know, because mm-hmm. they have experiences from that college. They partied at that college. You know, they, they met tra- their wife at that college. They met their right? wife at their college. Absolutely. They had all their best friends, their fraternity brothers are from exactly. that college. So that's a connection that they're still, that's a community within a community, community of the university and a community that is, that they can connect with on the video gaming side. Every, if you want to talk about one word that goes through every single um it crosses every single topic when you talk about video gaming it's community 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 it's all about communities that's where we're at with millennials and gen z's i mean think right, about they it. want to feel part of something that part social something. media interaction the reddit world the you know interacting with people on you know xbox and playstation chat that you've never heard of but every single night for 10 years you were playing call of duty with them absolutely and even for and don't think that the gambling industry hasn't noticed that the social ability of online the online social ability because they've actually created or tried to create games that like video uh, not video games slot machines where you could post your play and and then um play against other friends on your Facebook chat, right? right yeah, leaderboards right. and right, right. But, gamify but it, it the never, game it never people it, you know. Right, but it never took off because younger people don't give a crap about slot machines. Why should I watch this guy trying to win seven hundred dollars? I mean, I don't care. It's not like it's that exciting. I mean, you know, it's not any skill that I can copy or any any move that he made. He put he hit a button. <laughs> right it's and the, like the he, computer algorithm did what it did yeah oh god i'm gonna i'm so excited about the now if i was an ai platform and i was socializing I'd go, oh yeah i can make my computer do that you know i mean i don't know who knows it, 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 it's not it doesn't have that that um that connection to the community the game itself doesn't involve more than just one person when you're playing a slot machine it's not something where I, I don't know. So, like so, again, and you brought up leaderboards. You did mention leaderboards. That's another thing. Um, if you had a game like uh, Space Invaders, even a retro game or Asteroids, and you could win money by beating the high score, why not? Right? Or like I can imagine, like you have a poker, same way you have a poker room where it's like we just have all these consoles set up and it's like, you know, this is the $20 Madden. It's like put your $20 chip. Put up your twenty dollars chip. The winner of the game gets both. You know, and like that. If you're telling me that you think that's going to be the most engaging one versus betting on outcomes, is that the way to do it? The way that you create a poker room where you can sit down with five hundred bucks and play at you know fifty dollars hands, and you sit down with a thousand bucks at the hundred dollars hand table, and it's like it brings this one on one to a casino where now it's like okay, well we can have lots of people. You know, like. It creates this interactive gaming. It brings people in the stands, heads in the beds. And now you're bringing a new demographic that 
oh yeah, I want to go and spend my hundred dollars the same way I do on gamer battles, but to beat the guy in front of me versus the random person on the internet, like right. that's the land vibe. That's what makes you know the community, the gaming, the esports stuff so great. That's like, oh, this guy beat me. You know what? Next week, I'm gonna make sure that I practice this other team and bring up a couple plays that he might see coming. And yeah, but even got even like I, I'm in, I'm like a Gen Xer. But even a Gen Xer, from from my perspective, like I, I was really good at Asteroids. I le- I used to play Asteroids. So I should have mentioned that earlier. But I like to play Asteroids in the arcade, right? So, you know, we would watch others playing Asteroids. Or we'd watch others playing Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man. And there have been companies that are no longer with us anymore um, that actually showed their games and actually were in casinos. There was a like a, a a Pac-Man slot on a slot floor in casinos. Um, there was a Miss Pac-Man. There is there, currently today, if you went to downtown Fremont Street in Las Vegas and walked into Binion's or Four Queens, you will find an Asteroids game that you could win money on. You can find a Space Invaders game you can win money on. Acronoid, okay, is another game you could play. These are games you literally have, they change the algorithms on them. You could play for money, but it's based on time. Like how fast can you get to win or, or, you know, get out of that one level. Uh, and then you get money. They're, the increments of money aren't a lot, but it is based on skill. Now, why are those happening? Now, why did the ones that were here no longer here? Because when they would, so when they would get a casino like an MGM, because Pac-Man was at MGM, uh, and you can win Pac money to play Pac-Man at the MGM on the MGM floor in Vegas, they would take it, put it next to a slot machine, or put it in some remote area. Right, of and the it would slot just be, floor. be another slot machine, just another game. Nobody even knew that it was there. Uh, uh, you don't even know. There were no tournaments for it. There were no, there was no promotions. You didn't have like former Pac-Man pros come in. No, right. There was no promotions for it. There was nothing. They were like, oh, we'll just put it here and, you know, maybe someone will walk by a younger person and play it. But no, they, because you're surrounded by other slot machines, you know that you're not in a space that you even, that's even inviting to you. So why would you even seek that out on the floor, on these floors that, You've been to Vegas, I'm sure. Are so massive, sticking yeah, one machine. It just looks like another slot machine at that yeah. point. So you know, nobody knows about these things. Um, there was another company that created their own games. It was called GameCo that were in uh, Atlantic City. Uh, they had a, a game called Danger Zone. It was a first-person shooter. Uh, again, placed in a remote area. Nobody knew where it was. Um, it was never promoted. No tournaments, no marketing or promotion put out by the casino itself. So it doesn't matter, right? It's like if you put out a project, you don't promote it and market it. What's the point at that point? Listen, the casinos are are still catching up with Instagram and Facebook. I, mean, I know. They tweeted me at that event. I was shocked <laughs> when they, they reposted me. I was like, wow. But I mean – Resorts. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like their they're, they're they're social media abilities are horrible. So, you know, there, there's a disconnect um, and, and, the, and the actual ways that they interact with younger people at a casino. And when I say younger, again, the average age is 35. When I say younger, it's abysmal. So do you think it's kind of like, obviously, you can have the betting on the actual matches in front of you. And do we think it's almost like we have an arcade that is all of these machines where it's like you go into this gambling gaming arcade where – Instead of traditional arcade where you put in your quarter and you get to put your initials in, it's like you put in your dollar and like if you like you said if you speed run the board and under this much you get two dollars back. Right. Well, let's let's look at it this way. So there are some casinos that are understanding communities now and that are engaging with those communities. And I'll give you one example: the place we're having the casino esports conference in March is going to be at Agua Caliente Casino, which is a Native American casino. For almost Since before COVID, they have been having smash tournaments every Wednesday night in their sports bar. They have a sports bar called 360. Big screens, the whole nine. Um, but 
why Wednesday night? Well, there's not a lot of sports on a Wednesday. Perfect time for a tournament. So they brought in a tournament organizer, and every single Wednesday in Palm Springs area, they're having tournaments. And they're getting between 200 to 600 people playing Super Smash Brothers. So that's a lot. That's real. And, and people are winning. They're winning money. They're involved in a tournament. They're winning money. And are they building a whole new area? Are they bringing in new new uh, new uh, equipment? Are they purchase? I'm talking about the casino. How much of an investment are they actually making? Not a big one. But it is the it is the foundation of how they're interacting with the community that will eventually bear bigger fruit as they continue to grow because these are people who have all signed up to be part of their players club thing, part of their email blasts, part of their social media, following them on that. So it's a way that they're connecting with that community. Places like Atlantic city could do that too. And they should. They, so. And they should. And, and also places like Mohegan and Foxwoods and all these places, but there's a big difference between, those casinos and the ones that are Native American. Native American are not, most of them, are not run by corporate America. Big investors that have big money involved um, and stocks to, to uphold. So, and all the stockholders themselves are not gamers. You know, they're, they're people who have their retirement funds that have invested in these companies. So if, if you make a move at a big company like MGM or Caesars or any of these places and say, you know what, we're going to have a whole room we're building for esports and you try to promote that out, your stock might go down. Or at least that's a risk that the CEO is going to have to have or deal with if they decide they want to do that. Mm -hmm. But Native American casinos only have the tribal council to answer to, which is a very different set of rules when you talk about the two um but again it is the future whether whether corporations at the moment like mgm uh like caesars like boyd like uh bally's whether they decide they're going to do it now or later that's up to them but i i honestly feel that they are if they don't start learning about it now and getting themselves into more uh, information, uh, they're going to lose out. They're going to lose out because the Native American casinos are already looking into it and they're doing it. A lot of them are getting into it and they are involving themselves in different gaming, video gaming communities. Amazing. So it's kind of bring this a little bit on a different track. So tell us about the Gambling Esports and Technological Association. What is it and what is some of so, the work that it does? So some of the work that we do, um, what we try to do is we, if people like, uh, for example, um, want to get involved in the gambling industry, they're coming from the video gaming side. Um, you know, I will, it's sort of a, it's a networking and a, sort of a map to help people um, find their way in connecting with the game. So if I create, like say there's a game developer and he specifically created this game to, for younger gamblers or for people who, or for casinos that could offer that game to younger gamblers, whether that be an online game or something like that, they can come to the Get a Global site and as, and become a member. And then I will help them navigate to, you know, the vast resources that, get it has and that i have um of you know thousands of people in the gambling space and vice versa if someone from the gambling space is interested in understanding about esports or uh they're looking for more um uh you know technical uh, uh connection uh more what i call technical entertainment like they want to do immersive immersive experience on the property or they want to um have a video game that is more interactive online or at their brick and mortar or something like that, I'll find those people that can help service them. It's more of a networking mixing thing, but at the same time, by grouping everyone together in the same place and then setting up webinars on a monthly basis, now we're continuing that education that people could get online uh, than just coming to one of our events. So we're going to start doing online, um, you know, webinars and stuff under the Get a Global 
and we're also looking to help people by lobbying groups, uh, lobbying legislatures, lobbying state legislatures, lobbying DC, lobbying wherever we need to lobby to sort of put up pressure, a little more pressure on the governmental bodies that can restrict gambling entities from doing things that involve more um, technology and more esports and video gaming. Amazing. So that sounds really great. So definitely excited to see what you guys are working on there. So kind of bringing this towards the end, what do you think the future is for the esports and gambling space? Is it going to be esports wagering next to NFL on every sports bookie or where are we going? Well, I always like to talk about numbers because that's what everybody likes to talk. That's what the big people like to talk about. The people with all the money like to talk about numbers. So if we look at what's happening with baseball and the fans of baseball, that's decreasing. We look at what's happening in NFL. It's very popular, but is it going to grow in, in more, you know, the leaps and bounds that they need to continue that growth? Um, hockey has got its own group. And is that growing? Um, you know, nope. uh, ba- ba- right. Basketball um, is basketball growing. I don't know. People like the NBA international. It- there's some, yeah, it's like basketball and NFL are, the top and, you know, MLS, I, I don't see it coming either. Right. So MLS isn't, you know, it's going to be where it's going to be. Uh, World Cup, FIFA's huge in, in Europe. But again, you're talking about generational decay over time with all of the conventional sports. Um, there is growth, obviously, in video game and the video gaming competitions in esports. So I can sit here and say that my what I see as the future is Peer-to-peer play, um, and let's talk about retro games, you know, high score, beating high score on casino floors and on their online casinos, okay, that they're offering. And wagering on eSport tournaments and gaming, obviously. Now, all three of those, the trifecta of offerings that they need to set up in the gambling space is the future. Um, and Will there be? Will I think there'll be a, a bookie area, not with the conventional sports. I okay. think it'll be a separate space that's right next to a room where they have tournaments, uh, video gaming tournaments, um, on a, on a weekly basis, like they do at Agua, or maybe on a daily basis, but almost like a poker room. And and, and so many people would agree with me. I, when you have Andrew August on here from EIC, he's going to tell you the same thing. He's going to say that each casino should set up a, a room. Uh, that they can break down and use for anything else and have eSport tournaments in there, maybe uh, weekly, just like Agua Caliente is doing. So that's the future if they want to stick around. Um, But to tell you the truth, what the gambling industry's intent at the moment is, is to focus on the boomers, the younger boomers, and now I recently read that DraftKings is all excited or the online wagering uh, businesses are so excited because they're going after more women bettors on sports. And they're, they're building for the women's side, like women getting more women to bet on, on match on, on football, conventional sports. Yeah. So it's like, who's next? You know, eventually my dog's going to be getting something in the mail, trying to get $10 off, $10 to bet on the DraftKings tournament. <laughs> it's like, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's always a continuous thing of who we can, we can use next in the gambling space and sort of sort of trying to hold themselves back from getting into something that they don't know about yet. And mm. that's video gaming and esports. But it's going to be coming. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I see that you're really starting to see a lot, you know, especially overseas betters getting involved, sponsors. You see leagues changing the rules to allow betting sponsors when previously many of them didn't allow it. So, again, it's a trend. It's You see how successful sports betting is and how many millions of dollars, you know, that's creating. So you just think it's kind of the next evolution. So what's kind of the future for you know, GameCon and CEC as we bring this all to the end? You know, for GameCon and CEC, CEC is going to continue to grow, in my, opi- in my opinion. I think it has to because – it's the place where gambling, the gambling industry, the esports industry, and um, can come and meet, and talk and learn from one another on what they can do together to build product to offer um, together 
to a new generation. That's where I see CEC going. And as far as GameCon is concerned, it's it's the CBGB of of the of the video gaming world. Um, who will be the next big esport game, or who will be the best? You know, the next exploratory game. Who will be the next Zelda or Skyrim? Um, so, I think on the overall, we're gonna just keep growing, keep doing what we're doing, and and, and Justin, you know. You can hear it in my voice. Everything's run in my world by passion for what we what I do. Um, I, I, I'm not one of those guys that uh, that will give you a, a business plan um, that convinces you that you should invest money with me. I'll do it on a, I'll do it on a bootstrap, and then hopefully build it um, for obviously for the community. I mean that's what it's for. So uh, I'm I'm more centric on that passion rather than, you know, how much money I'm going to make. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it's definitely great to have you in all the great events. As I said, I was the one in AC, and it was a really good time. I'm looking forward to maybe head up to Stanford to check that one out in August. Well, I, I, can you, if you can make it to Palm Springs, I'd hope you'd be the one in March. <laughs> if you want to speak at that one, I'd be happy to have you there too. Okay, but – like I said, I think that the Stanford one's probably a little bit more doable, but yeah, it's closer. Beyond that, you know, thank you so much for being a guest. This was amazing. Everyone, make sure to check out GameCon and CEC, and check out their websites, and try to check it out if you're a game developer, someone who's trying to find the next big thing, and interact with the community. And thanks everybody again for tuning in and follow me on Twitter. Justin J E S Q and check Apple Podcast for our past episodes and YouTube for all our past videos. Thanks so much, Justin, for having me. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to everybody out there. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.